An Elegant Weapon is brought to you by Nemesis Studios. An elegant weapon for a more civilized age. This is a journey into sound. Cobra! Good con so far. Good times. This guy's Michael Bean. Right here. Yeah. Uh, as I'm sure most of you know, Terminator, uh, of course. Aliens. Uh, my personal favorite of the bunch, Tombstone. Right. Fantastic. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you. Movie. Um, you've gotten to work with some really cool directors. You're almost turning into like a Kevin Bacon type. We could play Six Degrees of Michael Bean already. Right. Almost. <laughs> so uh, what's that like? You've worked with so many talented people and had so many like sticking Well, you projects. know, I was really lucky that uh, when I when I first started that uh, when I first started I uh, <clears throat> you know I had done. I'd been in, in town for a while, uh, but when I hooked up with Jim Cameron, which was really the best thing that ever happened to me, obviously, um, I really got kind of got an idea of like you know what it was like to be a perfectionist in the business. And uh, Jim cast me in the Terminator, and Arnold Schwarzenegger was was already cast, but he had to go do. Um, we, had, we were waiting to find out if his option was going to be picked up for uh, Dino De Laurentiis movie that he had done, read something or other. And anybody know what it is? Red Sonia. Red Sonia, right. So he did Red Sonia, and during that time I got to spend a lot of time with Jim Cameron, and I got to spend a lot of time down with uh, Stan Winston, who is no longer with us, but went on to win, you know, 12 or 15 Academy Awards for special effects. And uh, so I really got to work around, you know, Jim, who is a perfectionist. And uh, I also worked with, uh, not in the sci-fi genre, but I worked with uh, Billy Friedkin in a couple of movies. And uh, Billy Friedkin is pretty much the same way. Uh, he, as far as I'm concerned, he made the best horror movie that's ever been made, which is The Exorcist. Yeah. And um, um, he made the film also, which is the best buddy cop movie, I think, with Gene Hackman and Roy Scheider um, in San Francisco. Anybody know the name of that movie? French Connection. French Connection. It's a great movie. Probably the best car chase in the history of movies. It's, you know, he's actually chasing a train. So he was a real perfectionist, and uh, I learned a lot from him. And uh, then I also got to work with uh, Michael Bay, who is a perfectionist. And, 
you know, I also got to work with uh, Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez when I did Grindhouse, who are more kind of just fun-loving guys, but they get what they want also. So, you know, I really got a chance, really, it, as an actor, you don't just like, you know, pop out as like, all of a sudden, like you're doing some something and all of a sudden you're just great in it. You have to have a really good role, you know, and I, I always say, people always go, no, that's not true or whatever, but anybody who played the role of Kyle Reese in The Terminator probably would have done a pretty good job. Anybody who played the role of Hicks probably wouldn't have done a pretty good job. And, you know, people say, oh, no, they could do as well as you, but as an actor, it's really important to find those good roles. When I got sent, for instance, um, uh, Tombstone, uh, in this script form, my agent sent it to me and said, take a look at this and tell me which role that you want to play, or you would like to talk to them about. And uh, I wasn't, like, auditioning at that time. And... Uh, so I read it, and I immediately said, I want to play Doc Holliday, you know, because I knew <laughs> that Doc Holliday was the best part in the movie. Uh, Kurt was already playing uh, the year. And uh, so they said, well, it looks like that might be going to Val Kilmer. Is there anything, anybody else, any other character you're interested in? And I said, Johnny Ringo, because that character and those characters you know, make an actor. You know, that character I played in The Abyss made, you know, that was a great character. The character I played in in, 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 in The Terminator. They're just great characters, you know. And uh, so I've been luck very, very lucky to have hooked up with Jim Cameron. And then um, it got frustrating for me because I'd worked with so many great people very early in my career. And, you know, then kind of had to work with guys that weren't quite as committed, quite as passionate. And I, by that time, was really passionate. And uh, I got, yeah, I got probably labeled as a little bit of a hard head because I like to see things done right. And uh, so... Um, You're kind of trained to do it. <laughs> I was kind of trained to do it. So I had some other issues that uh, kind of held me back for a while, too. But... Uh, now I'm back and I'm making, uh, I did a movie uh, a couple of years ago in Winnipeg um, called The Divide, and uh, I'm real proud of that movie. You can pick that up, um, you know, at your well, Walmart or, or pay-per-view or whatever. What time of year did you shoot that? That was winter time. It was. No, 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 I'm sorry, no, 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 it was spring. So it wasn't. Because they talked about, like, in Winnipeg, how, like, everybody goes into their hole, and then in spring they come out and like it's a big party for like three months before they go back in their hole. Yeah. So no, it was spring. Right. And uh, it was a really cool movie. It's great, great acting piece. And I, I'm really proud of it. It's not a real upbeat movie, a little requiem for a dreamish, you know. And, oh, really? uh, so uh, it's not a real fun movie to watch, but I think it's a great ensemble cast. And um, then I got... Um, tired of just kind of, you know, I've been doing it for so long, I decided to start making them myself. So I started a company, and um, the first movie that my wife and I made was called The Victim. And Well, I did this, this movie for Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino. 
Um, you can just go sit over there. <laughs> well, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, I did this movie for Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino called Grindhouse. And Grindhouse basically are these low-budget movies. When I was a Planet kid, Terror, the Planet Terror one. Planet, I, was in, yeah. I was in Robert's Planet Terror, as was Quentin, but Quentin directed his side with Kurt Russell. And, but when I was a kid, I used to go to the drive-in theaters with my parents uh, back in the, um, I guess it'd be early to mid-60s, uh, and they would, uh, there would be a double feature at the theater. And the movie that they came to see was like Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, you know, Paul Newman, Elizabeth Taylor, and so on and so forth. But bef that started at eight, and uh, all the kids and stuff would be down on the playground or whatever, just to even before it even started, and right when it started getting dark, they would put on another movie. And that movie uh, usually would star like Vic Morrow, Connie Stevens, and it would be like a biker movie or a woman in prison, you know, kind of a uh, exploitation kind of elements to it, you know, horror movie type of things. And uh, so once I made those movies for uh, Robert, uh, um, I decided that I was going to make uh, one myself. So I wrote one in two weeks, and I put all the stuff in it I thought people wanted to see, which was first I got my beautiful wife to get naked for me. <laughs> and then I encouraged one of her friends uh, to do the same. And then I threw in some dirty cops and drugs and a little tiny bit of torture, uh, a little bit of action and uh, a serial killer. And I just, I wrote it in two weeks. We shot it 12 days. Uh, was this I've, inspired by your time working with Tarantino and Rodriguez? Who yeah, were very independent definitely, and definitely, like, yeah. you know, do it And I way. just get, you know, I just get tired of like, you know, when you make the movies that I've made, you know, for me to go out and work for, um, you know, to work and let's say, let's say do an episode of CS, CSI Miami, okay? So I was going to say, your Criminal Minds. Anybody see him on Criminal Minds? Yeah, I did that because... Five-minute uh, episode, fantastic. Vince, Vince is a friend of mine, and Vince has been wanting me to do that show for a long time. So I did that, but uh, uh, it is not... Uh, uh, basically, when you do a show like that, the studio owns you for eight days, from six in the morning until six at night. So they can call you in on a Monday morning at 6 o'clock, get your makeup on, put you in the wardrobe, and have you sit there till 4 and say, you know what, we're not going to get you a scene and send you home. Now, with somebody like me, who usually is more of a star of a TV show, which I never had one that w was able to go over about 20, over 23 or 4 episodes, um, it's a little bit easier. But still, you, you, know, you happen to work for other people, a lot of times you have dialogue, it doesn't make sense for your character, and you know, it's always a fight with the producers that like, I don't wanna say this, it doesn't make any sense, and but I'd give them alternatives. So I decided to just start making my own movie. So I made The Victim, and uh, I shot in 12 days, and uh, ter uh, eight, uh, Terminator, to give you an example, was a low budget movie. At that time, we shot 11 weeks. And uh, wow. so I shot uh, uh, the, the victim in 11, 12 days, 11 and a half, really. And um, 
you know, we shopped it around. I really started shopping and shopping it around originally at these Comic Cons. And every once in a while there'd be a person in here that was a reviewer or somebody that would post and so on and so forth. And it started picking up a lot of steam and we ended up selling it to Anchor Bay and um, it's, you know, at Walmart and so on and so forth. And uh, now we've got our own company and we've got uh, another one that came out. It didn't have all the exploitation in it. It was more of a drama. Uh, and um, we've got about six or seven in the can. One I'm really looking forward to coming out called uh, Hidden in the Woods with uh, uh, it's basically about kind of the drug trade. Then we shot it down in Texas, and uh, these three girls who are kind of being victimized by their father, who's a drug dealer, and uh, you know the people that he's dealing drugs with, he gets in a fight, and so the girls are kind of caught in between. So I'm just doing my own thing now, and uh, this, coming to these, are like kind of a second pension for me. It's really fun for me to, I, you know, really, I didn't realize how important the movies, especially, you know, Aliens, Terminator, Tombstone, I just didn't really realize how important they are to people. And, you know, when people come up and get autographs and stuff, I mean, I can just tell they're just absolutely thrilled and, you know, I'll put my arm around somebody and, you know, take a picture and they're, they're shaking, you know. <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, it's been a fun career, and I plan on doing it for a while longer. And uh, so, you've done yeah. a, you've done a lot of it. You've done a, a lot of kind of physical roles in your career, you know, action movies and this and that. And yeah. uh, so, as you get on in your career, is is it something you really enjoy to do, or you're looking to do more kind of? dramatic pieces. And well, you got to remember today, I mean, I believe, I mean, I can go on and, and, and talk about this for a long time, but, you know, we're not making the movies now that were made, for instance, during the 70s. I mean, if you take Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, um, Dustin Hoffman, uh, Jack Nicholson, Robert Redford, and you look at, take all of their movies and you put them together and you watch those movies and you compare them to the movies that are made today, from my standpoint, it isn't even comparable to like what movies are good as compared to like Captain America, okay? What happened was the corporations all took over the studios and it's all about money now. You know, Terminator, one, two, three, four, now five, six, seven, eight, you know, Aliens, one, two, three, four, five, Fast and the Furious, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and it just goes on and on, and the films themselves, basically what you're getting are not very good. Most of the stuff that you see that is good is on television, Breaking Bad, and those type of shows like that, and uh, Walking Dead and stuff like that, you see that on television now. Um, but I believe the movie theaters are going to be in trouble because what's going to happen pretty soon is uh, I've, I've already got a, a screen and, you know, I'm not like some wealthy guy who's got some, you know, but I've already got a screen which is a computer, which I can get YouTube on and so on and so forth. And I can watch anything I want. 
anything, anything from the any Twilight Zone that was ever made, you know, to all the way up to a movie that's being released that Friday. And if you want to get it early and watch it early and pay thirty-five bucks instead of like eight dollars for it, you can do it, you know. And I think that most people. The theater experience is one thing when they started chopping it into those like seven little pieces. They're basically just like, it's not the same experience we used to have when you, you had the big theaters, Grauman Chinese theaters, and so on and so forth. So I, I believe the movie theaters themselves are, are, could be a thing that, that, that kind of go away because you're going to have an opportunity to have that same experience at home. And it's not that fun anymore to go to a video, I mean, go to a Cineplex, you know, and drive and park and stand in line and spend $5 for uh, five cents worth of popcorn and $5 for five cents worth of Coke. Um, and, you know, I take my son to the movies, it's 50 bucks, you know? And um, so I think in technology is changing so quickly that uh, there's going to be a lot of um, interesting things that are happening on film. And uh, to give you a quick example, um, basically, if anybody saw um, Cowboys and Indians, or Cowboys, Cowboys and Aliens? Yeah, Cowboys and Aliens. I don't know if you remember at the end of the movie, Clint Eastwood kind of comes in. You see a shot of Clint Eastwood. Well, basically, what they're going to be able to do now, um, this, is, this is told to me by Jim Cameron, and was what they're going to be doing in the very, very near future, too, is, you know, they put the spots all over your face and stuff like that, and they get that all down. And they basically, I will be able to license out my likeness. My likeness I own. And Tom Cruise uh, owns his likeness. But Tom Cruise will take his likeness and he'll license it to somebody else. And they'll take his likeness, and with a computer, they'll make a movie with him. And people say, well, you'll never get the same performance that you would have had with Tom Cruise, or you'll never get the same performance that you would have been with Michael Bean or Jack Nicholson. And that's just not really true. You know, you, you get guys with computers these days, and they're gonna be guys that are the greatest computer you know, makers, uh, filmmakers, you know, in the world, just like there are actors. So what'll happen is you get a guy like Tom Cruise and he'll license out his likeness to three or four different companies and they'll make a television series and they'll make a movie and, and I mean, maybe he does the voice, maybe he does somebody who sounds like he does the voice. And then when he decides to make a movie himself, it becomes this, Big deal! Tom Cruise <laughs> is going to make his own movie. And that's what we're really looking at in the future. And that is not any BS. That's coming right around the corner. That's well, you say, uh, it, how about just the movie going experience has changed so much. And you say with the green dots and the green screen, uh, it doesn't sound as fun to make movies anymore. Like you came around at a time when practical effects, like you say, Stan Winston, that must have been a blast to work on those sets with all the stuff that had to be built and used, you were in real locations. It can't be as fun as being in front of a green screen giving your performance. Anybody who tells you that it's fun to make a movie has never made a movie. <laughs>
there's nothing fun about making a movie, you know? I mean, it's just like any other workplace. I mean, there are some laughs and some good times and so on and so forth, but it's not any like any other workplace that like, first of all, uh, my son pointed this out to me, it's like, where do they come up with a 12 hour day? You know, why do actors have to work a 12 hour day? That's just standard, a 12 hour day, five days a week. That's a standard, you know, deal. And uh, that's basically probably because the sun was out for 12 hours in the early years and so on and so forth. But making a movie is really not glamorous. It's a lot of hard work. Um, you know, you can be sitting in a makeup chair at six o'clock in the morning in Yugoslavia, you know, this far away from your family. And uh, uh, I mean, you know, of course, when you're making movies, you never know if they're gonna be good or bad. You, you, you hope they're gonna be good, but there's, there's a great book called uh, The Devil's Candy, which is about making bonfires of vanities, uh, which was directed by Brian De Palma. And, uh, uh, had uh, Bruce Willis starring in it, and it's about how they, you know, were making this, you know, multi, it's going to win all these Academy Awards and everything, and how everything was so precious, and every shot, and they had Morgan Freeman for like eight weeks, didn't like him, fired him, brought in somebody, I mean, they were just like, you know, and everybody has a stake in the movie, you know? The director wants it to be good, the actors all want it to be good, but the studio itself wants it to be good, because the studio, you know, that guy who works at the studio is hired by the studio, and he wants, you know, he greenlit the movie in the first place, so he wants it to be really good. So everybody wants it to be good, so everybody has got a bias when they watch the dailies, when they watch the first cuts, when they watched the mu music put on and so on and so forth. So nobody knew what they had with Bonfire of the Vanities until they put it in front of the audience, in front of an audience. And they ended up spending, you know, 30 or 40 or 50 million dollars for a movie that nobody ever saw because it was so bad, you know. And so you never, people always say, did you know when you were making The Terminator that like it was gonna be like, are you kidding me? You know? My <laughs> agent calls me up and he says, uh, listen, I've got a, uh, got a project I want you to meet on. I'm like, oh, okay, what's it called? It's called The Terminator, okay. Is there anybody else involved? Yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's like, Because <laughs> 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 you have to remember, at the time, Arnold Schwarzenegger was not Arnold Schwarzenegger. He wasn't a movie star, you know? He had done Red Dawn, and he'd done a semi-documentary called Pumping Iron. But he read what? Red Sonia, I'm sorry. Um, Hercules goes bananas. Come yeah, on. right. <laughs> Couldn't speak English, you know? And it was like, that was not like a great start. So I said, okay, uh, I don't like the sound of that. Uh, who, who's directing it? A guy named Jim Cameron. Who's Jim Cameron? <laughs> Well, he's this uh, young director who's been working for Roger Corman. Oh. <laughs> and uh, he made a movie called Piranha 3, but he got fired off of it. Okay, uh, who's producing it? Gail Hurd. 
What's she done? Well, she works with Roger Corman too, you know. Um, and I'm like, bye, this is not all sounding that great or whatever. And I said, well, what's it about? And they said, well, it's about a man who crosses time to save a woman from a robot that crosses time, you know, um, because she ends up being the savior. And I, by this time, I'm just, my head's rolling how bad this project sounds, you know. But I was uh, young and eager and hungry, and so I went in and met Jim, and, and I actually auditioned for him and got the role. And because uh, uh, Arnold went off to do Red Dawn, I got a chance to see Red what? Sorry, Red China, sorry. Red Dawn is another, that's the John Milius movie. But I, 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 got a, I got a chance to spend a lot of time with Jim. And I got a lot of spent time to spend uh, with uh, Stan, on, in Stan Winston's uh, studios. So when you spend three months with Jim Cameron, and you get to see what he's doing and all the sketching and all the making of the Terminator and so on and so forth. I had a, I had a little bit better uh, feeling about not being completely embarrassed when the movie came out. So that's, you know, like, uh, did you know you were gonna, you know, it was, you know, 30 years later, you're gonna be sitting in front of an audience of 100 people talking about it? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's exciting. Um, are you a Western fan in a way? Because I know you spent some time on the Magnificent Seven. Yeah. Well, um, not necessarily. Well, I mean, to watch westerns, um, sure. I mean, I kind of grew up in the era where westerns were a big deal. Um, my favorite western is The Unforgiven, um, but I, I do believe that, like, from everything that I hear that Tombstone holds up pretty well as far as in the last 30 years, as far as Westerns go. When I was a kid, my favorite Western was Shane. Um, but they don't make Westerns anymore. The reason they don't make Westerns anymore is because, first of all, they're very expensive because everything has to be done, period. So everything's horses and carriages, all the clothes, all the dishes, the guns, the horses, the, you know, everything is got to be period. So that's expensive. And so Westerns are expensive. And um, also Westerns, the kids these days, they could care less about Westerns. They're not interested in Westerns. And Westerns have never really sold well overseas. And overseas, of course, is a huge market, you know. Captain America make you know fortune, but a Western will not do so well. So although, um, and I was never a big horse guy myself, you know. I loved working on Magnificent Seven because of uh, the showrunner on it, um, and um, I thought it was a, a really well produced uh, show. And we just couldn't get it quite over the top. We had some real fun cast members in it. And, um, um, but, you know, Westerns per se, you just, you, you just don't see them anymore. I mean, you just don't see them. And the good ones, High Noon, and so on and so forth, of course, they're all classics. And, uh, but um, they would not be like, 
if you're going to ask me, well, like, what's my kind of movie? What, what's the kind of movie I like? The movie that kind of changed my, you know, when I went out to Los Angeles to be an actor, I didn't, you know, I kind of thought, like, listen, if I could do commercials, you know, and maybe, you know, and make a living doing Steady commercials, paycheck. I would have sold my soul for that, you know, <laughs> you know. And I went out and did a little bit of modeling, not runway modeling, where they have the really good-looking guys. This is the, the ones where you're standing next to, like, Juicy Fruit Gum, and, you know, and, you know <laughs> next to a car with eight other people or whatever, you know. And I, and I really did not take acting that seriously until I saw Taxi Driver. And Taxi Driver is a movie that kind of changed my life, and that... That's the kind of movie that I like to see, is Taxi Driver right. and Dog Day Afternoon, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And I mean, dramas that like are edgy and, um, you know, that's, that's the kind of stuff that I like to watch. The I mean, kind I, of movies they used to make that like take a few days to get over. Yes, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I remember I saw True Romance in 1994. And it took me a week to even register if I enjoyed the movie. I was, right. it, it hit me so hard and had such an impact on me yeah. that I didn't even know. I was like, what the hell was that? Yeah. And a week later, I was like, that is the greatest thing ever made. You know? yeah. So I hear what you're saying. Yeah, that's, that's the kind of stuff I like. And from an acting standpoint, I like that, uh, um, you know, I like doing um, serious stuff. And I like... Um, uh, you know, I mean, what you want to do as an actor, I made a, a, little, a little bit of a mistake. I don't know if I made a mistake or not, but when I was, I had a great agent who's passed away, great man named Ed Lomano. And he handled Mel Gibson and Michelle Pfeiffer and Denzel Washington and kind of goes on and on, Sam Neill and on and on and on and on. But I told him early in my career that I didn't want to be a movie star, that I wanted to be an actor, you know? And, uh, you know, he's, he was cool. He was like, all right. So, you know, I didn't do, I never did red carpets. I didn't have a publicist. I never, you know, dated actresses, although I'm married to one now. But, uh, that's much later on. I didn't, I was just not seen, you know, around at all. And, uh, uh, you know, people think, actually, people think of The Terminator, for instance, as being like this big hit, huge, huge hit, okay? Well, the fact of the matter is, is when we made The Terminator, um, it made $40 million, okay? It was made for six and a half, so it was a very successful, small movie. But just to give you an indication on the list of movies that year, just to grab one out of the, like, the top 10 that year, or maybe even the top 20, Karate Kid 2 made $90 million, all right? So the Terminator was not like this massive hit where everybody was going, we need Michael Bean, we need Michael Bean, we need Michael Bean. And somehow, even though he only had two words in the movie, he seemed to, st he seemed to steal, it, <laughs> steal all the thunder from the, me, who had all the exposition, had to explain to the audience what the whole movie was about, and so on and so forth. And, uh, but I never really wanted to be like Tom Cruise, and I don't have that. There's some guys around, like Bruce Willis, Tom Cruise, uh, who's the guy who's the star of Star Trek? 
I mean, I mean, these guys, they just never stop working. And like, that's not my life. I have four beautiful children that I got to spend a beautiful amount of time with. First of all, when you shoot, a lot of times, they don't shoot in Los Angeles. They shoot on locations in different places. So when I did the Abyss, I was away from my family for three months, four months, same with aliens. So, you know, I really got a chance to spend time with my family, be a father, be a husband, not a very good husband, but a husband. And, uh, uh, but I don't, I never really wanted to, to get to that stratosphere where, you know, if you're Clint Eastwood, you can't, you can't walk down the street you just can't, and um, um, you know, even for me at, at a comic con where everybody, you know, like walking back to my hotel room, you know, it's like people, you know, kind of. But that's for those guys just normally, and I, I just, I just never wanted to live that way. And but what I learned was that. I wasn't going to get paid like those guys got paid. <laughs> and everybody always talks about me as being an, an, an 80s star. You know, they always call me an 80s star. And I wasn't a star. Bruce Willis was a star. Arnold Schwarzenegger was a star. Stallone was a star. You know, there were some stars out there, but I wasn't one of them. And I wasn't paid like a star. And so I never got paid $20 million for a movie. I never got paid anywhere near that. Anywhere near, anywhere near that. And, uh, but I got to play some great roles and I got to work with some great people. And I, I've, I've been everywhere in the world and I've had a, a great time and, 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 and continue to. And uh, these uh, Comic-Cons, which have like sprung up over the last uh, 10 years or so, are like kind of a second pension for me. And at the same time too, I've been able to realize how important the movies that I made and the roles that I played were, how important they were to people. I mean, I just never really thought about it before, but I have people that just, you know, talk to me about how I, you know, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword when you talk about going into the military when I'm like, well, that's good. I'm glad you, you know, I, I got you to join the Marines. <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, uh, my politics these days, so, you know, but, uh, you know, but, but, you know, I get, you know, people are just like, you know, they, they just, they're just so thankful and so like, you know, you changed my life. You were my childhood. I, you know, you're the, you know, you were, you know, I was you, I played, you know, and, uh, so it's been fun to interact the way the theater actors do, I guess, with an audience, you know. And uh, after all these years, and have, have people just uh, come up and thank me. And, and um, um, so I come out to, for that. And then I also have some of the, mov the new movies that I'm making. And um, sometimes, we're, we're not going to do it here, but sometimes we'll screen the new movies. and. Uh, Hopefully there'll be a uh, somebody in the audience that'll blog and all that stuff starts happening and we start we create some buzz for our new movies that we're making the Grindhouse movies. That's amazing. Um, you want to turn it over? Take some questions. Yes, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Anybody got any questions? I don't think we really have a mic to stand around to speak up. And sorry, your hand went right up first. So. Compared to the movies back then, would you say 
actors are very easier now to make movies. Because like you stated, you had to go with so much special effects. And actually building a set where now you sit behind the screen all day. Are, are, you, are you asking me if it was easier to make movies? No, the actors nowadays have it easier. Is it easier now to make movies? Because like yeah. we were saying before, you had to be more on location and more strapped yeah, Listen, those guys back then, I mean, there's something called the Screen Actors Guild, which, which is our union. And, you know, we've been fighting for years. I mean, you get a guy like James Garner who did that television series for years and years and years. And he had to sue... Fox, they, uh, aliens still, uh, Fox still claims that aliens, that franchise is in the red. So, David, David, believe me, David Geiler and Walter Hill, who really created that movie, had to take them to court. Uh, but basically, it's just like any other business where you have um, the workers and then you have the, you know, the, the, the business entity and they want to get as much work from their actors and their crews as they can for as cheaply as possible and so back in those days there were no trailers you know to, to hang out in in between shots they could work you you know 14 hour days they could not feed you they could you know so the screen once the screen actors guild became stronger and stronger it got better and better for the actors but you know, going back to the 50, uh, going back to the 50s and early 60s until the Screen Actors Guild got involved, these guys that were doing, I was uh, talking to a guy who did a show called Adam West, Adam 12, I think it was called. And, you know, they were paying him $350 a, uh, an episode, no residuals, and, um, you know, that show ran for. I don't know how many years, and this guy didn't make any money on it, and uh, so he got involved in the union. So it was definitely from an acting standpoint, and from a crew standpoint, a director standpoint, I mean, you know, it's like working in a coal mine. Uh, we didn't own the coal mine, we worked in the coal mine. And again, 12, 14 hour days, and so on and so forth. Screen Actors Guild stepped in, and if you're going to work over a 12-hour day, you have to get paid a little bit more. They have to feed you every six hours, um, so and, and a lot of other things. So the Screen Actors Guild much more difficult from an actor's standpoint to make a movie back then. Yeah, and of course, then back then you got to remember they used to make movies on on film, and film is uh, much more difficult than. Um, HD. I mean, I mean, you can basically turn on a camera, and I can put it on this guy here, you know, and he can do the scene, and he can forget the line, and I'll just say, okay, we'll go back and do it again, and do it again, and I can have him doing the scene for 30 minutes, where before you had a canister of film that would run out, and they would have to take the film off the camera, put it down, get, bring out new film, put that film up, Put in, it was like a 10 minute process. That film had to be developed and then they watched what they shot that day, the following day, on what they call dailies. Now, you know, if you're making a TV show or a movie, the director and the producer sit behind a big TV screen that's this big and they watch the shots 
and they see if they like them or not, and if they like them, they move on, and that's the end of it. So it's much, much, much easier to make a movie now, and I always tell young people, the young filmmakers out there that like, go make movies. You know, don't depend on some acting teacher to tell you to, you know, don't depend on some, you know, college, don't depend on, pick up, you can get a camera for, you know, like a, you know, like probably a used camera for $700, $800 or something like that and go out and make a, a, a movie. And there's always somebody, if you have a story, which is the most important thing about making a movie is a good story, that will attract great actors, and there's a million of them out there, of course. And there's a million directors out there, of course. You know, everybody wants to direct, everybody wants to act in it, and so on and so forth. So it's capable now of, people are capable of, anybody can make a movie. My son makes a movie on YouTube, you know. They, they do the vines, they do. People have become uh, filmmakers that have been noticed on, 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 because of stuff they put up on YouTube. So uh, it's much easier now to make a film. And plus now, too, they never used to shoot with two and three cameras, you know, and uh, little 5D cameras that are this big and stuff that you could hide, you know. And so it's much, much easier to make a movie now than back then, you know. You're welcome. I think we got time for uh, one or two more. I see two hands up. So let's do you, and then we'll do you, sir, in the red. And then if we have a chance, we'll get to you. All right? We're just running short on time. So, yes. Uh, going to Aliens, what's your favorite stage of Xenomorph Evolution? Say that again? Going back to Aliens, what's your favorite stage of Xenomorph Evolution? What does Xenomorph Evolution mean? Sure, sure, how much I fucking you know, I paid attention to the life Do you like the little baby aliens, or do you like the big scary aliens? Oh, the big scary, oh, well, <laughs> those that little one that like chittered along the ground, it was pretty scary, you know, right? <laughs> that was the one, the one that like I tore from around Sigourney's neck. You know, like bugs, you know, like it was a bug hunt, we used to call it or whatever, but like my biggest fear in life is like cockroaches, you know, and so I would have to say like that little one, you know, that had that tail that was skittering around that you couldn't see was scarier to me, although I know that it was special effects, than the big, uh, the big alien, you know. Nice. Alright, yes. Uh, yeah, this is kind of a quick double-fisted question. Real quick, though, were you approached to do uh, Terminator Genesis or any of these other films, or like films like uh, Nolan? And also, are you uh, are they working on an Abyss Blu-ray? I've been asked about the Abyss Blu-ray for a long time, yes. and I don't, you know, I should have asked Jim the last time I saw him. He's kind of a hard guy. You don't get to see him very often because he's so busy. Um, I don't know why he hasn't done it in Blu-ray. Um, you know, the very first time CGI was ever done, when you see it everywhere now, but the very first time CGI was ever done was on the Abyss, and it was the water tentacle, yeah. And if you go back and look at the Abyss, you'll see that that CGI stands up to the CGI now that you see, where you see these fake helicopters flying through the screen, and you're like, yeah, that's a helicopter, sure, you know? <laughs> it might have something to do with him not being able to, to, to the only, because you know Fox is gonna wanna make money off of it, and Fox owns it, so, 
you know, I don't think Jim would have had anything in his contract that would stop them. So that would be a question for 20th Century Fox. You know, when Jim made the, made the movie, you know, he had two endings for the movie. And uh, he came, he called me in once, I was on the Fox a lot once, and uh, he came in and, you know, I'd seen most of the, uh, the movie. Jim was a very inclusive director, always wanted to watch dailies and stuff. And uh, he showed me the two endings, and his long ending and uh, Fox's shorter version, uh, his shorter version, and uh, he said, uh, which one do you like better? And I go, I don't think either one of them are that good, Jim, you know? <laughs> I, think it, I think the only time in Jim Cameron's career that he showed anything less than pure brilliance was the end of the abyss. And I like to tell people, I think that movie kind of falls apart right when I die. <laughs> <laughs> All right, one last quick one. What do you got? Hi. Well, you know, I, you know, it's all make-believe, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, the whole thing is make-believe. People always ask me, like, um, you know, like, how do you work with green screens, you know? Well, you know, I could act like this woman's my wife right now, you know? Or my lover. It's just as easy as I can act like he's my lover, you know? It's, it's just like making stuff up, you know? And it's just, you know... I guess dying is always kind of fun. I've done it so many times. To try to do it a new way is kind of difficult. And I'll tell you one story about a death scene that I did. And it's kind of before everybody's time here. But I did a movie years ago called The Fan. And um, it was starred Lauren Bacall. James Garner was in it. Hector Elizondo. Uh, and had a great cast, but I die in the end of it, and I die in, these, in this theater seat, and they wanted to do this big crane shot that came in and slowly zoomed in on me, and they wanted me to do it with my eyes open. And, you know, I told them, I, you know, so we did some stare contests, you know, and we realized that I was not going to be able to hold that, that staring thing in for the... 30 seconds or a minute that it took for this big crane shot to come in and come in close on me. So they went out and they hired a um, hypnotist. <laughs> and they got me to do it. Thank you so much, yeah. sir. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bay.